Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome to show, friends. That's right. Adel and I would like to welcome you to this podcast. It is uh, a large bro session between Sean Palmer, author of the new book, Unarmed Empire, myself, our Vanna White for the episode, which is Colin Packer, and an assortment, a gaggle, dare I say, of other preacher friends. Uh, it, there, there's some stuff that didn't fully get picked up in the audio, um, but it just makes for the ambiance. So it's a little weird because there's kind of some talking in the background, uh, but you know what? Y- y'all are used to the weirdness if you've been listening to this podcast because that's what we do. We make it awkward. Um, so we're going to get to Sean Palmer talking about Unarmed Empire in just a minute. Um but I want to tell you about something that we're going to do uh, in December. Uh, we've got a handful of guests lined up. Um, got a little uh, some live ones we'll be doing in New York City. Uh, those will be up in the next couple weeks, uh, and then um, after that, I'm thinking we might do another. Guess what? What is it called, Adeline? Mailbag. Podcast. Yes, exactly. A mailbag podcast. Alan, what do you think a mailbag podcast is? Do you have any idea? No? Okay, basically the way it works is uh, send in some questions and uh, we'll, we'll talk about whatever you want. So send me in your questions. We've done this a handful of times before and someone recently said, Luke, you haven't done one in a while. And I said, let's fix that. And so maybe we'll make it uh, an end of the year mailbag podcast. So send in your questions, maybe uh, favorite questions. Uh, conversations uh, for the year, maybe favorite talking points, maybe we can rehash some of that stuff. Uh, Anyway, it'll be Mailbag Podcast, end of the year, 2017 time, and so that's what we're going to do, and um, anything else you want to say? No? All right, friends. Well, uh, here we go. Here is Sean Palmer talking about Unarmed Empire. Al and I are ready to call tonight, so what do you want to say, Al? You know, I'm in a room full of preachers right now, and some of you might have thought about trying to get your message out, and I've got just the provider for you. It's Podbean, an (laughs) all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing provider. And now, guys, guess what? With the new mobile app, you can record directly from your phone and publish it directly from your phone. So, guys, I know many of you. And you you must really believe in Podbean. I I do. Because you've got no ad copy or anything that I can tell. No, I'm speaking from my heart. Yeah. Because not only am I a uh, advertiser of Podbean, I'm a user. So if you look... Do they give you some first? Like for free? No, I I used it for years before they decided to ask me. Reverse drug dealer? Reverse, yes. Okay, um, well, I don't know how to set this up other than to say uh, we have a room full of our friends with us, and returning to the show is Sean Palmer. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Have you ever done a podcast with this many people in the room talking in the background? Um, no, um, but they are, they are not quite as rowdy yet as my children, who yeah. are sometimes in the background on, of, on my podcast when we record. So that's not bad. Do you want to do you want to tell your audience who's in the room? Yeah, would you these, like to do that? Some of these people will be known. Um, how about how about we let Colin your, Packer introduce the, the people in the room? We've got. Uh, <laughs> 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 Only some can be trusted, fellas. 
Yeah. <laughs> we've got uh we got Randy Harris over in the corner and we've got uh sitting on a bear. Y- your bear. your favorite Jonathan Storman is here. You want to say something Jonathan? You ready for some awesome? Yep. We got uh Josh Graves, he's been on before. Chris Seedman. We got Wade Hodges. We've got oh we you know Wade and then we've got Pat Bills and Josh Ross he was on just recently and I'm Colin Packer. Yeah. Yeah. So Bro down. Bro, bro yeah. down. We this this whole group is is gathered because we're so excited about your new book, Sean. Yeah, and uh, I'm the only one who's read it. That's in the room. <laughs> and I, oh, that's not true. That I, I'm pretty well. Maybe Jonathan's read it. Maybe Jonathan's read it. I don't. I don't really care as long as they buy it. Yeah, and you know that's that's really what I'm after. At least with this group, there are a lot of big words in it. Multi-syllabic. Yeah, yeah and thing. you think that that threw them off. Couple. You, I'm not naming names. Do you think that the bird metaphor that you built the book around um, would play well with this audience? Do you think this would that would be the metaphor that would draw them in? Um, it might be. Um, it's not really much of a bird metaphor as a as a child metaphor. So it's a story about my daughter and her reaction to these birds. Uh, this and so everybody <laughs> here has children. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're hold on, hold on. The cover that you wanted is literally a bird. Yes. So yeah. that would be a bird metaphor um right there. And the story is about a bird's nest that happened in your old church the- Yeah, but it's it's about my daughter's reaction to the birds, not <laughs> the birds. There are birds lots of different places. Yeah. So <laughs> That's good. I mean, I I I like the birds. So Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> I like that you have we have the criticism in the background, so I don't have to wait to get on social media or get emails about the podcast. I hear it right now. Well, well it kind of cuts the feedback loop. I know the criticism in the room makes me feel better. Good. All right, I want to ask. Uh, there's a story you tell in the book about when you were uh, leaving your church in Texas and you were about to go to California, mm-hmm. and uh, it involved the 08 election, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think, okay, let's just jump right in. So the story is you, you went to an Obama rally mm-hmm. when you were, you were living in what part? Houston. 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 Where you live now. Yeah. Back in Houston. Mm-hmm. Different church. Different church. Different church. Different time. So the story is, um, my wife had, we had both read Barack Obama's Audacity of Hope and, uh. You know, it was first year that really a primary election was mm. going to matter in Texas, and we were still kind of on the fence. Now, uh, she told you, she watched his speech his in speech 0- at the 04. convention previous. And then yeah. you went and read the book. Yeah. Okay. And so we thought, well, let's just go and kind of see what the, the organizing effort was. And so uh, I went to this meeting. It was on the east side of Houston, just a jam-packed room. They had some community organizers there in the room leading the meeting and they just went around this group maybe of like 60 or 80 folks and folks kept streaming in and asking like what was your um introduction to the candidate and um why did they say the candidate because he was the candidate right at that point. they didn't call him senator no okay just the candidate. candidate okay yeah I, all right so they go around them and uh it was for most of us it was that we had read um the audacity of hope and uh but news media was there and took a uh, lot of pictures and so that night on the news like i'm like were you anxious when they were taking pictures i did i got extremely anxious when they were taking pictures okay 
because I, like you, kind of uh, grew up in a church movement where you kind of kept any sort of politics to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so, and I didn't know where, what we were going to do in terms of the election that year. We have voted kind of all over the map some years, not at all. And so that night it was on the news and um, I get a call from my dad the next day and he's like, hey, son, you're on, you're on the front page of the Daily Coast, which is like this really left-leaning website. And so all of a sudden, that was all out of the bag. Did they have your name on it? No. Just no, just a picture. Yeah, just a picture of the crowd. And that was that was cool with our our community here in um in Houston where we were. But then I left to go to California and it was most certainly not cool with some key leaders out there. And um that was a real informative time did, for us in terms of our When you were going out to Redwood City, mm-hmm. did you know that the political climate of the church before you got there? Um, between the time I accepted the job and mm-hmm. landed out there, I got a call from an, from one of the leaders in the church is actually a, a great guy. And they were concerned. A bunch of folks had gone back and kind of, you know, doing what we do in the 21st century, which is Google everything about a person. Yeah. Um, okay. And, so, and they were really nervous about that. So you arrive and they send you a ton of, uh, write political books, including there's one you said, this is a black conservative, so you'll like it. Yeah, so Thomas Sowell sold a lot of books while I was in. Um, we were right down the street from Stanford where he was at the Hoover Institute. and So he's a pretty well-known black intellectual conservative. And uh, those books started showing up at my door mm-hmm. pretty regularly. Kind of like, yeah. hey, here's... Because the assumption was that uh, we were supportive of the Obama administration because he was black and I'm black. And of course, you know, all black people think the same. Um and so, hey, here's some other black guy who doesn't support Obama, as if those were extraordinarily hard to find. They just didn't know. It really wasn't that hard to find. They just didn't know very many people. Yeah. So when you go out there, there's controversy because you're supporting a Democratic candidate and the church is heavily Republican. And I, the sense I get from your book is that there is one critique of Christianity is that it's too, too right and there's no room for people of any uh, left-leaning politics to be part of church. Well, that was definitely the case when we were there. Um, mm-hmm. The people we met in the community who were unchurched, uh, their critique of the Christian community was that it was just a warehouse for politically conservative people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no other cohesion inside the group except, hey, that's where the conservatives go to kind of have a conservative clubhouse. And, and interestingly about that, at the same time, what I noticed in the church is that some people in the churches, not just ours, but others, were there because it was kind of like their daily, their weekly rather shot in the arm of something conservative hmm. in a culture, greater cons- culture that was pretty left leaning. Yeah. And San Francisco is definitely that. I mean, it's a, if you, if you feel that way, if you're a more conservative person living, you know, on the West Bay in the San Francisco area, uh, it, you rightfully feel isolated, I think, yeah. um, in the, in the culture. Okay, so you you tell a story, and obviously there's some back and forth with a lady that never gets resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, did you? Did you, I mean? Did you give her a heads up that hey, this book's coming out with you? And did you have to get a release? Or I know you you at the beginning of your book you say you've changed some details. So, mm-hmm. um, did I? You know that story and and the leadership there was pretty well known. I mean, for your your listeners, the whole I think she spoke to me twice the entire time that I was there, and one wasn't really speaking to yeah. me is kind of at me like for me to overhear um yeah wasn't the story like you sit down at like a lunch or something and there's an empty seat and she has to sit there basically yeah she basically has no other place 
to sit mm-hmm. <laughs> besides next to me. And, um, what do you think your role is as a pastor in a situation like that, where you have a member who's clearly upset with you um, that maybe is unfair for her to, to have all this animosity about a blog that you wrote before you were part of this church? Um, yeah, that was, that was difficult. Like I, we made several attempts to reach out to them, particularly to her. And it's really hard to be in a relationship with someone who will not talk to you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so what, who, when you speak to them says something, you know, kind of smiles and, and walks away. There's, there's nothing you can do. I mean, there, there was no attempt. Um, there was no attempt, I think, on her part to, to move at all. And I don't know if that's out of any sort of malice or just not really knowing what to do. And, I mean, one of the things that I'm trying to get at at the book is this idea that a lot of the Christian community have been sold a bill of goods about what Christianity is. Mm-hmm. And it's tied into a certain kind of politics or certain kind of public postures and behaviors and certain beliefs about certain things. And if you really, if you really believe that, if you take it at face value then you don't know what to do with Christians or non-Christians who have come to different conclusions about those things mm-hmm. or even in process about those things. Um, it's a kind of strange orthodoxy that's been um, foisted on the church, particularly in the last 30 years of saying like, this is what, this is what Christianity is. And if you've come to faith or the people that you really trust around faith have told you that during that time, uh, we need some tools out there for people to form a new kind of imagination about what it is that we're doing. Yeah. And so that's, and so, but the flip side of that, I mean, like that's, that's a, um, that's one of the chapters in the book that people talk to me about. And I really want to make sure they read. That's fine. If they read that chapter, they need to read the next chapter too, because both of those chapters are entitled victims of the discourse. And the next one is about, much more personal about me and say like, okay, we are, we have all been kind of victimized by a system that tells us uh, that certain things are Christian or not Christian that we need to reexamine. And we've got a whole bunch of assumptions about one another and about the world we are in. So yeah, there is this story about this one interaction or the years long interaction with this one person. But I think I do a fair job in the book of claiming my responsibility in that um, and in the same ways that I'd come to similar conclusions that she had just on a, on a different side of some of the issues. Yeah. Uh, obviously there are plenty of churches that there is room for political diversity and that sort of, uh, tension that you experience isn't the norm for every church. The church you're part of now, um, I know that president Bush shows up there every mm-hmm. once in a while. Yeah. And, but that doesn't mean that the entire church has to lean right with their politics. What do you think it is about certain churches that are able to handle that sort of political diversity? I think it's got a lot to say about the spiritual maturity of the leaders um, mm-hmm. and the way that they present what it is that we're trying to do together. And that's, that's one of the primary questions I don't think that enough church leaders are asking and walking congregations through is like when, when we're together, what is it, what is it that we think we're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the implications of that? And so... I mean, one of the arguments of the book is that in the first century, the biggest question in the church is the church. And how do you get these Jews and Gentiles who are coming from completely different places uh, to live together and love one another when they've got all of this history of of hating each other or at least disliking each other, being uncomfortable with each other? Mm-hmm. 
And that's what's addressed all through um, Paul's writings. That's uh, the book leans heavily on um, Acts and Romans. And so church leaders that talk seriously about that and say, like, this is not just something that we have to do, but this is something we're called to do. It's central to who we are as a people. Um, give their congregations language and actions and a posture about how to live with. And those, those, so that's why the book falls out in terms of, okay, so what do we do about our transgender brothers and sisters? What do we do about our LGBT friends? What do we do about the poor? And um, one of the topics that I don't take on in the book, which I really wish I had was the increasing educational divide and uh, economic divide. Like I don't, I don't think, right now in Christianity. No, the que- the question I'm asking my friends that no one wants to talk about is what's enough? Like what's enough money? What's enough mm-hmm. notoriety? Like uh, no one in Christianity, American Christianity at least hardly is saying, um, you know what? This much income is really enough. Yeah. Okay. So Jonathan back there is happy as can be. Uh, Cause you talked about the uh, educational divide and everyone knows that's his, his favorite subject in the world. Uh, so I think you've already got <laughs> one book sold uh, to Jonathan back there. Uh, thank you. You're, watch the language, watch the language, parental advisory, Jonathan. Um, he doesn't want to have to drop the E on this, this episode when he, no, we don't. Oh, okay. So let's talk about the, uh, okay. We don't ever say enough. Part, uh, consumption is in our veins, as our friend Macklemore likes to say, and so there's always this thing like we need more and more in our consumer. Yeah. Okay, I tried to get him on the podcast once. <laughs> I was, I've, I've emailed. You with have this. a whole different class of friend than I no, do. I mean, I've emailed with his publicist. That's basically it. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, Ben, um, how do you think that's dividing the church? Because typically, churches are kind of siloed where you have often well-to-do people who do church together and people who are not so well. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the problem. That's partly of what unarmed empire is trying to do is like, there are just these, uh, these unquestioned assumptions about where we go to church and who we go to church with. Like I, we, you know, about five minutes before we started recording, we were having a conversation here about a mutual friend who I won't mention their name. And, uh, they had emailed me, maybe a year or so ago talking about racial reconciliation and they really wanted to be all about it. And I said, okay, well, um, he's white. And I said, why don't you and your family go to a black church? And then it was like, well, you know, I've got the kids for this and I've got, we got to do this and we've got to do that. And I've, I get that answer a lot from people. Um, and so, okay, well, if you just want to be a kind of person that has a lot of keyboard courage, go right ahead. Um, but We've got to we've got to move beyond just sort of, you know, thank you, Scott, from SNL you know, to actually doing some things. Mm-hmm. And so to do that, we have to say, OK, I go to this church. Like, um, why am I here? Is it because it's close? Is it, when I go to this place, everybody looks like me, talks like me, has about the same education as me. Mm-hmm. We read the same books, listen to the same podcast. Um, when you two's in town, half the church is at that concert. I see them all together. Um and so if you, if you never do anything to break out, if you never question those assumptions about the things that we automatically do, and that's life, those everyday 99-cent things that we do mm-hmm. all the time, those are the things that define who we are. Um, and we just kind of cruise through life. And, and the basic assumption 
and you know this as well as everybody in this room, the basic assumption for most folks who show up at church is like, what can I get out of this for as little pain as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think church leaders have to really start calling that into question. Yeah. So it, it's not just what you say. It's not the the tweet that you retweet. It's actually action that you do that matters. Yeah. And I think before even that, like, I don't, th- I don't think we even question that that's a problem. Hmm. Like we just, um, we don't question that it's a problem that everyone, that 90% of the people in our lives are exactly like us. And when you do that, uh, the answers that you come up with for the problems in our world, um, could be totally wrong, but they're the same answers that 90% of the people, you know, and we live now in a culture where people where a lot and much and many people now actually has virtue carrying weight. Like, why should we do something? Well, a lot of people want it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are talking about it. So if 90% of the people, you know, are saying one thing or believe one thing, there's no reason for you to believe that that's not true or that should be different. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll uh, open the next question up to the audience. My question before the audience gets their turn to participate is, uh, okay. So the story, which, it's about your kids, not about the birds after our debate over that. It ends with uh, like rabbits or something showed up after and your kid, t- right? Is it yeah. rabbits? And your kid makes an adorable comment about, oh, do you think the birds told the rabbits that this is a safe place? Mm-hmm. And you have watched the book trailer. I appreciate I that. I didn't watch the book. I, I watched half of it. Um, <laughs> I read. I, I, yeah, it looks, the first half looked really nice. But then you tell a story of people who don't feel welcome at church, mm-hmm. who have the opposite experience, mm-hmm. uh, people who uh, their friends say, don't go there. And it's, do you feel like as a pastor, you're working, uh, trying to swim upstream? I, as a pastor, I feel like there are a lot of people who are claiming the name of Christ who are making it harder for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, for the sake of some sort of economic or political power or even religious power to say that they're right or that their religious group is superior. Um, don't actually care about people. They compare about maintaining some sort of status in society. Um, and that those folks make it harder for us to speak a word to our, to the world around us to have a witness that, I mean, we have, we have given away our witness. I think particularly in the last 20 years to people who might be searching for God because we are wanting to do all sorts of different things that maintain um, our position in society. And we, and that's another thing that we don't question. Like is this position is a position in society when, when, when a presidential candidate can go to a group of Christian people and say, if I'm elected, Christians will have power and Christians cheer about that and don't question, should we have power? Um, I just think we at least ought to ask the question that things that we're striving for are those things that we should even desire mm-hmm. and are those things helpful for mission. Yeah. Uh, I think Jonathan's been making uh, quarter, a, just a plethora of comments from the corner back there. Um, would you like to weigh in? Uh, I just want to make sure Sean, oh, I don't want the microphone. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. You're doing great. What was that, Jonathan? I appreciate everything that's being said. Okay. That's it. <laughs> he's saving it up for the monthly wrap-up yeah. episode. You're... Yeah, I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, Wade's got a comment over there. 
This was actually Wade's this, idea. Yeah, I was saying, this is Wade's idea to He's have. hiding from it. He says, yes, <laughs> let's do this. And then he just... He, now he's going to make me have to edit this stuff out. Thanks a lot, Wade. Okay. Um, this book came out right when... Uh, right before the flood or right after the flood in Houston. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right during the... I mean, a week before or a week after. Yeah. Yeah. And so I... You obviously had an opportunity for sounds like a lot of churches came and helped Ecclesia, the church you're part of. Mm-hmm. And as you saw the response of other churches in that crisis, how does that affect the way that you view church? Was it what you expected churches to do? Did it surprise you? Uh, just the response to, to Harvey and Houston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's everything that you would expect it to be. Like some churches, like at Ecclesia, we've had a group from Mariner's Church in Southern California in every week they send a different group of people in every week we've had tons of folks um you know chris seedman's back there the branch has been incredibly supportive um folks have sent all kinds of money and gear and goods but at the same time like we've come up you know you you encounter churches who say like well we're only going to help people who are you know members of our church or our denomination or you know so you, you see what you see, but the church's response and our position at Ecclesia has been like, we, we were the first in and we'll be the last out. And so until everything is not just repaired, but renewed, like we're committed to, to doing this. So we've brought on new staff members. We felt like this was an opportunity mm-hmm. um, to, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, like the week before the storm, well, the week of the storm, the, the teaching content that was going to, that was going to be presented was like, what what would C.S. Lewis say to to Nazis, right? Were you who was preaching? Uh, Chris, Chris was doing that. Weekend. Okay, yeah. So, what would C.S. Lewis say to Nazis? Um, and there was a lot of reason the week before the storm that we needed to talk about that. Yeah. So that kind of got bumped off the p- front page, but like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, so we said, what's the, what's the best way to respond to this, where we can be. Um, where we can witness to Jesus Christ in the most honoring way to push back on the narratives in our culture that we feel like we're dishonoring Jesus. Hmm. Um, and I think in some ways our response to the flood has been very helpful to people to go, Oh, like um, that's who these people are supposed to be really and for our church. It's a reminder of this is who we're supposed to be. And so it's been a it's been an inflection point to remind us what's important and what we need to pursue. So people have seen church in a new light because of this. Yeah. And we've, you know, uh, we've got folks showing up at Ecclesia now just from the, just from the response. I mean, that's how, that was our connection. So, uh, and the way that worked was, and because we believe that church is important, it's the hope of the world. We're going to come and help you if you're one of our members with your house, but then you become the captain of your neighborhood. You introduce us to your neighborhood. So we wanted to use it as an opportunity, provide our church with opportunities to love their neighbor. Like Mm -hmm. we're not coming just to do your house and going someplace else. Like you come and uh, you tell us who your neighbors are and we're going to help you strengthen or build a relationship with With your neighbors. Um, and so you've you've got connected to new people because of the response. So I'm, you're, you were friends uh, with Sean Imes as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, after he he passed, we've had multiple families 
get connected to our church who were friends of the Adams and Sean uh, because of the way the church took care of and supported his family and the way they, they experienced love through this community. And it's pretty amazing to see that like sometimes it's tragedy that is the best chance for people to extend a, a new picture of what church is supposed to be that that reorients things around love instead of maybe some of the the, the misconceptions people have about church. Um, <clears throat> you guys said you're going to be the last ones to leave. What does that look like? <clears throat> Until everyone who was flooded out that we can help has been helped, mm-hmm. we will be there to help. Uh, so... I mean, we still have, we've got folks in this weekend, last weekend who are still at the, like mucking out houses, um, mucking out houses phase of, uh, and some who are already in rebuilding mm-hmm. and until all of those people are taken care of, like, like we're there. So that means like, we've got a partnership with world vision, um, for equipment. We are bringing in teams for the next uh, year. We've have you guys had to shut months. down other programs or services you guys were doing to, to reorient towards that? No. I mean, we, we really got, it happened for us at a good season. We had our second campus. We had just done an asbestos abatement. And so the whole, one whole building was completely empty because <laughs> we had just done that. So that's become a storehouse and we house teams over there wow. um, and we can feed people, you know, and you're, when you're at, a, when you're at a church, that's got a, you know, professional cooking staff and all those sorts of assets. You, you have can, a professional cooking staff? Yeah, we have a restaurant on campus, so. Oh, like, well, I mean, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so um, we we hired staff. We didn't, and all the money we've raised from, you know, our friends, like the branch, like none of that goes to hiring additional staff. We're doing all of that out of budget. So every dollar that we raise can go to um, to rebuild people's homes and rebuild people's lives. Hmm. And so it it takes all of that it takes what are who are the attorneys that we're going to activate and so it's it's a full church effort and it's only been within the last couple of weeks that all of us who are on staff already have kind of sort of returned to what we were doing before. Hmm. So how much of like I knew you were organizing, connecting, and putting churches in the places they need to go. How, how long? I guess it's been six weeks or so since the flood. Yeah, roughly about that. And you've been doing that instead of your like real day job? Uh, yeah. Some of us more than others. Like there have been yeah. some people who are already on staff who just dove into that and that's what they, that's what they did full time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we got, it was, it was interesting. It was fascinating to see cause I was out of town when the flood happened. And so were a lot of our staff. We, we called, we're not having our worship gatherings this weekend early. So if you need to get out of town, you can. Mm-hmm. And most of us did. And I think every staff member, when they came back to Houston, they came to the church building first before they went home. And I, like I did, like and our family did that too. We had we came, we got back to Houston. We went, we went to our elder campus first, and that was across. That was across the board. I think just about everybody did that. Why we had because there was a lot of things because we were already working. Like we were working, doing stuff wherever we were. Like having conference calls with people all over who had left to go all over the country to be with family during the, uh, and so we knew there was just a lot of work to be done. So when we got back into town, we were away, we went straight to the church building. We had uh, some staff folks who were, who were sleeping at the building. Um, Hmm. That was a pretty, that was a pretty crazy time. 
but it was a, it was an energizing time and uh, you know one of our uh, one of our executive pastors said at kind of our monthly staff meeting she said Jesus every day you come to work until we tell you differently come to do come to come to do work like dressed for physical labor to do whatever it needs to be done that day and that's pretty much what people did hmm. and so you had an empire of people that I assume were not carrying guns so in a sense you had an unarmed <laughs> empire there you had an unarmed empire hmm. that you went a long way for that yeah I don't even know if that trip was worth it that was a callback <laughs> I was just bringing it right back to your book yeah but that's one of the way and you know in the in the book the second half talks about sort of practices mm-hmm. um, and one that I wish I could have included that I just didn't was, was the service aspect. Hmm. Um, and so it, we do talk about communion and, uh, and because the, the idea is like church should not be contributing to these divisions yeah. that church should be healing these divisions. Like yeah. that's, that's why the church exists. Mm-hmm. How do you think church can help heal these divisions? I think we need to just start taking some things seriously. <laughs> um, I think we need to start taking things like communion seriously hmm. um, and what that means. And that if we put practices um, above professions. So what that means is like, so let's, let's try, let's, let's go and try to love people for instance, before we make a profession about what love is or isn't. Um, and maybe that the practice will lead us back around to, um, the, the conclusion that God intends instead of trying to define stuff before we've actually practiced it. Hmm. That's good. But that, practice thing would have to move us past just being the keyboard warriors who type things about this is what church should be and then not actually put it into place. Yeah. I think, you know, we're, we are locked into some habits now as Christians. I've, um, Christians are the most easily offended group of people on the planet Mm -hmm. right now. Um, and that's left, right and center. Um, and I don't think that's doing a whole lot for us. There, there are clearly, there are without a doubt Christians who conflate America with Christianity. There are Christians who love America more than they love Christianity. There are Christians who love their family more than they love Jesus. Um, and the, I want to, I want to suggest that the reason we do that is because we have been, we've been taught to do that, that, that those behaviors have been blessed. Um, in our culture, how are they taught? Um, well, some churches just flat out say flat it. out just say it. I mean, Fourth uh, of July service. I mean, there are two things, and I want to be careful saying this. Like, um, this hmm. is going to get me in trouble. Say it. <laughs> um, that was Jonathan Storm in the back, agreeing. Coats are at his feet. You know what's valuable in a culture by what can be criticized, mm-hmm. or rather, what can't be criticized. And there are some things right now that can't be criticized. Um, and most of those things are around Americanism. So, 
I mean, flip open your newspaper at whatever, you know, whenever you get out of your car, get home from your run or whatever you're doing when you're, um, whenever you're listening to this and look at what can't be criticized. And that's what we really worship. Hmm. What can't be criticized is what we actually worship. Hmm. I'll leave you there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw your own conclusions. Yeah. We'll let you do that. For those of you playing at home. Yeah. And so the ways that we aren't allowed to engage with and do critical thinking on these things, therefore like elevates and deifies these into being divinities that we worship and in doing so that devalues the things that are actually deities we're supposed to worship. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, there's only one thing that's going to reign supreme in, in anyone's heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the record, when I was saying deities, plural, I was referring to the Trinity, not multiple different gods we're supposed to worship (laughs) just in case anyone's going to. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of us are trying as hard as we can. I feel like Randy Harris is criticizing my description of the Trinity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not going to argue with that. (laughs) If you can, if you can take seriously a man sitting inside of a big, huge stuffed bear. Yeah. (laughs) I, I really like having Randy Harris just critiquing everything I say as, in in real time, yeah. Um, Josh stole my book, so I can't reference anything in it. My my home copy. Yeah. Did you bring um, it just for this? Yeah, because I can't remember anything. Hey, I have a question. Well, for Stormit's question, you can have my, it back. My question is: Your book is kind of a. Um, it's both hopeful and realistic. I think you know you're a child of the church. You grew up in church, um, so you know like all the warts and stuff. But you're also incredibly hopeful. Think the hope, hope of the world is the church. Um, what, what made you not be cynical? And that's my question. Uh, uh, what made me not? I don't know that I've ever been described as not cynical. So. <laughs> Um, you know, there's, there's a face, you know, there are people I was thinking about when I was writing this and like, so, um, it's really written for three people. Like it's written for three kinds of people. It's for people who have felt shut out by the church. Um, and it's for people who love those people who have been shut out by the church. And it's for people who shut out other people. And what I wanted was to put something in the hands of people who felt shunned and shamed to say, this is what, this is one take on what God intended. And I think this would be helpful and useful. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing that's been twisted and contorted in a lot of different ways. Uh, and so I want it for all of those, you know, I was a youth minister for a long time. I want it. I wrote this for all of the kids who grew up in my youth group, who were great kids who've left the church because somebody did this or said this, or they heard that or who were gay. Or, I mean, one of the first stories is about a kid who, when she, you know, she left at, a, when she graduated high school, she said, I'm never going to come back to a church 
ever again because churches hate Democrats, you know? Um, like, so if it's, if it's hopeful at all, I hope that it's a, I hope that it's something meaningful for those kids and, you know, the feedback that I've gotten so far from people have been, I want, I want to find a place like that. You know, it's, it's for people who, it's for people who have left the church and for people who are helping people leave churches, maybe not even knowing that's what they're doing. When you see the, so many stories about people wanting to leave church and you're a churchman yourself, Sean, Mm -hmm. this is obviously a response trying to change that. And thinking it can, uh, you're not trying to fix it all yourself, but you're trying to prevent more people from feeling like they have to leave church for reasons that aren't legitimate. Mm. Do you find yourself hopeful or pessimistic about what the future is going to be like for church? I think I'm more hopeful now than I than I have been probably in the last five or six years, and that's because I'm just seeing some really great expressions. I, you know. And it may be just having spent time with the people in this room and hearing about what the th- things that are going on in their lives and their churches um, and knowing that there are faithful women and men of God like them uh, serving the kingdom. That kind of makes me hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're wrestling with a lot of good questions as the American church right now. And I actually think some, I think there will be a pushback um, to some of the ways that we've gone off the rails to mix a metaphor. Um, I think there'll be a pushback that will be good for the good for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it it might not be easy, but it might be good. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think on that note, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Um, thank you. That will just stay in the room. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good. <laughs> all right well uh colin do you know this podcast has been brought to you by podbean your all-in-one podcast hosting publishing provider colin you're you're a pastor you've got sermons you know the easiest way for you to get this out to your people i would guess it's podbean you're exactly right good work thanks for checking out newsworthy with norsworthy Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.